You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. Uh, yeah, there's this old expression. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be a, a blessing or a curse, but it's supposed to be this Chinese blessing or curse that goes, may you live in interesting times. Uh, and these certainly are interesting times. And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to press on. We, we've, got a, we've got a global pandemic that is rising and falling at different rates at different places uh, in the U.S. And actually worldwide, we're having, you know, racial tensions really being brought to the surface and it feels like there's an opportunity for for really old wounds and traumas to finally get addressed and healed perhaps but uh and you know we're only halfway through 2020 and who knows what else it's going to bring to us but you know as i mentioned that may you live in interesting times i decided to research that a bit today and i went to wikipedia and it says yes may you live in interesting times is an english expression that purports to be a translation of a traditional chinese curse which i've heard because while seemingly a blessing, the expression is normally used ironically because it is uh, to say that life is better in uninteresting times when you can have peace and tranquility as opposed to interesting times like we are dealing with now, which can have a lot of trouble. But despite this being so commonly referred to as a Chinese curse, there is no actual Chinese source that has ever been produced for this saying. So if you're like me, you've heard this all your life, it's just some, some guy just made it up a long time ago, it seems. There is, there is no source for that. But what still is accurate, we are in interesting times. It does take courage. And that's really the, uh, a passion point for my guest today. Mr. Martin Stark is a senior IT strategic procurement leader, a courage champion, an inclusion practitioner, an advocate of health and fitness, and he's passionate about diversity, social justice, and fairness. Welcome to Real Men Feel, Martin. Good morning. I tell you, it's a, it's a winter solstice, one of the coldest days of the year and in the Southern Hemisphere, but uh, yeah, great to be with you today. And so, all right, so where, where are you? Where are you in the world right now? So I'm in Sydney, Sydney, Australia, uh, biggest city in this country, but uh, yeah, very, very pleased to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We had, uh, I think it was a mutual friend said I had to talk to you and put us together. And yeah, yeah. so I'm glad this is happening. So uh, let, let's jump right in. So what does a courage champion mean to you? What, what is that? What it, look, for me, for me, courage is something I embraced about four years ago. Uh, truly, I, I was a type of person who was a perfectionist. And unless I could meet my own standard, which is often an unattainable standard, my sense of pride and confidence was rided on really what other people would think, letting other people decide to a certain extent how my levels of happiness. But if I looked back, I was very happy in life. I was achieving great career goals, great personal goals, having a very good standard of living. And it wasn't until I read a performance review where, again, I'd got the high marks. It was to be more courageous, and I just really switched that on. And I say champion because often when people say, do you want to be a winner? Well, I think it's rude to call somebody a loser. And I've never really liked to say, I'm a winner. Well, what does that say about you? It sounds like you're an insecure person. But champion to me, a champion is a winner, but a champion also champions the cause of others. They want other people to be champions. If you, for me, Usain Bolt, when he crosses that line, we all want to be with him because he's so engaging, he's so warm. He wants you to be the best person you can be. So that's why I say to be a courage champion because I want 
other people to embrace being courageous. And it's, it's, it surprises me that they came up in a performance review. I've, I've had many and I've worked in IT and yeah. I've never heard being courageous show up in the job. So yeah. how did that feel? How did that... It felt, do you ever have one of those moments where you just decide to listen to what other people tell you? Sure. That's what it was. Hmm. And it was, I was looking back, well, in this setting here, I'm very confident and leading it and others, I'm not so sure, but why, why is that? And it was very simple, just be more courageous. And I remember the following year, it, the remarks where Mars had gone from taking direction to giving direction. And I was able to leave one of the most successful outsourcing deals of my career, you know, a contract worth $300 million and I'm the person leading it and win an award for that. Hmm. And mainly just from my courage, I guess. And you just, yeah, you said you just turned it on. So yeah. was something, was courage something you always had, but you weren't conscious of it? Yeah, I would say it was part-time courageous or part-time <laughs> confidence. It was there. And then suddenly, well, why are people telling me something? And then saying you're as good as other, as other people. And then just by switching it on, I have that type of personality. I have incredible self-discipline. I've got a great sense of humor, but incredible self-discipline. So I decided to, to just go and do it. And it made a significant difference, literally, huh. in terms of my happiness, level of respect, and, and things that I've gone through in life as well, you know, with, with great courage. So, so it wasn't just the, the job performance that changed. All, really, all aspects of your life yeah. went up. Yeah, yeah. And so what sort of practices, what did you do to turn being courageous on? So I think there are four phases for me. It's a process I would describe as pace because pace is you doing things at your own pace. But the first thing for me is a passion. If you have a passion to do something, if you have a passion to do something, you will generally find time to do it. The second is action. You need to start doing something, change something. Once you have the passion and you start taking an action, that really provides confidence when you have that confident belief. And then from that, I strive for excellence versus perfectionism. Because when you have the confidence, it creates excellence and that it has a constant loop. Then you do things at your own pace, you do things a little bit quicker, do things in a bit more with a, with a better rhythm. So, there's this process which I call the courage bank, which is relying on memories from the past to propel you forward. Mm. So you may have a favorite beach and you may go to that beach on a Sunday with your friends or with your family. You feel relaxed because you're, you're at that beach. It could be at another location. You go to work on a Monday. How are you feeling? The only thing that's changed is you, because if it were a public holiday and you were, at your favorite beach, you would still have that same surrounding, that same, that same feeling. So take those powerful emotions with you and carry you forward. And my powerful emotions from, from having a tracheostomy, being in a coma, but a rare autoimmune disease, and face death. Several times I've had so many things happen in my life. So I use the, and it's taking great courage to get through those things. So that's why I talk about the courage bank. Cool. You know, I've had, that not with like near, you know, near death experiences, but I would always be on great vacations and like halfway through it, I already start getting down and depressed because it was ending instead of staying on vacation when I was there. And I finally realized yeah. like, wait, what if I, can I mentally 
pretend I'm on vacation all the time and just feel that relief no matter what I'm doing. And yeah. it, took, it took me a while to get there, but that, that's when I realized that. Yeah. But that, that's neat that yeah. you found that. And I'd love if you could kind of discern more about the difference between excellence and perfectionism. Perfectionism, for me, is trying to always be the best and deliver the best. And unless I am completely satisfied that I have delivered my absolute best, I feel I may have failed. Whereas excellence is just trying to strive to deliver what you can while it not being perfect. So an example, I wrote an article at the beginning of the year um, for a company, well, Sourcing Industry Group is a, is a company and they have a website, futuresourcing.com. Now, this article, I talked about supply relationship management in the 2020s. And I thought, yeah, that was a good article. What I found out this week is it's one of the most read articles on their website this year. And I honestly thought, you know, I was pleased with what I delivered. And I thought, yeah, you know, it was a very good standard. Would it be my best article? The answer would be no. I had something else published a few weeks ago, and I would say that's my best article. But the excellence was, I was happy with that and happy to put my name to it. But the excellence is often from what other people see from that as well. And and again, my the perfectionism is always there because I thought, well, I've been working in my industry for a long time. I'm only saying what other people would know. But the difference is I'm the person saying it or writing it or publishing it or communicating that vehicle. So it sounds to me like perfection is is it's it's more solid and it's like this this solid piece that's unreachable yeah. that you yeah. while as excellence is more fluid. It is more fluid. Okay, cool. Awesome. Awesome. And it sounds like you really this was part of your life, you learned it, but you really mastered it during your health challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So was was that as an adult or as a child or wh- wh- how did that As an up? adult. When I had asthma as a teenager, but as an adult in 2006, I had gallstones blocking my liver and I had a procedure to try and remove the blockage. And um, what happened is dye seeped into my pancreas. Within 12 hours, I had developed severe acute pancreatitis and was admitted to intensive care. Um, I could not breathe. Within 24 hours, I was placed on a ventilator. So if you can imagine not knowing if you're going to wake up, asking to go on a ventilator, that was a pretty tough memory. Then I recovered from that, and within about a week, I had then developed sepsis, or septic shock, which is the most severe form of sepsis. I was also undiagnosed with Addison's disease, which is a rare autoimmune disease. My body doesn't does not produce cortisol. With a major infection, your body needs cortisol. So after about a week, woke up not sure where I was. Knew I was sick, gravely ill. Was not getting any better. Um, so my worst fear has always been having a tracheotomy. Um, I remember my surgeon, the man taking care of me, was a beautiful man born in Egypt who refused to give up on me living. And I remember him telling me off because I had a tube in my throat connected to a ventilator. It just wasn't working. So then I was immobilized. Okay, they give you a muscle relaxant. And I'm 
aware of them performing the tracheotomy. I can't feel that, that thing that people will feel. It wasn't as bad as that. But literally, I can't move. I can feel there's pressure in my neck, everything happening. But I feel, I can hear voices, not what they're saying, but I can feel the power and courage of everybody trying to save my life. And then I'm, I'm back in an induced coma. This time the dreams are worse. There's one, if you can imagine a dream or a nightmare that is a reality and you can't get out of a real life event. That's the hardest thing for me about being in induced coma with having these nightmares of events of something happening to me that I have no control over. And then I wake up about six or seven days later with, I can't speak, I can't speak at all because I have a tube in my throat. And then if I try and speak to my throat, this is my tracheotomy voice because of the damage to my vocal cords. So that in itself was quite, well, something hard to get over. You, know, you never do that, I think. Um, but that is carried something in, in, in the carriage bank. When you, you've heard everything to do with George Floyd, you know, my husband is African. You know, I live vicariously through him in, in many ways. The difference is an African man refused to give up on me living and did everything he could. Which is what I know it's like not to be able to breathe. I've experienced the tracheotomy. So that in itself is something that nobody should go through. The difference for me was people there wanted to make sure I lived, not died. That's powerful. I, uh, you know, I had not heard of the the nightmares from induced comas until you know COVID nineteen kind of brought it yeah. to my attention. I didn't. It, it, so, is that really common, or is it a possible side effect? How to? I think it's common. I have subsequently heard that I may not have been given enough midazolam, which is that the drug they send you to give you sleep. If you can imagine, because you were immobilized, the when when you're in induced coma, the reason they put you to sleep is because otherwise you're visibly awake, can't move, and that's, that would be pure torture. So they try and put you to sleep so you're not aware of what's happening. But yeah, it's, it's, there are so many things happening, there's so many drugs, I mean, you have a tube in your neck, you've got a tube in your throat so you can breathe. You, I think four times my family were told I was going to die that night, you know, four nights. If you can imagine, like, Mum ringing up every morning to make sure I'm still alive. Mm. You know, my husband, am I going to die? And I'm, luckily, I, I'm, I'm still here. But I wasn't aware of how gravely ill I was and, until obviously coming out of the second coma and then having to face more. So uh, I was transferred to a specialist hospital and again became very sick again. It was transferred to the high dependency unit where I was told I had a 50-50 chance of having bile duct cancer. So imagine being, going through all of that to then, you could have this rare form of cancer, luckily I didn't, but having an MRI scan and waiting the next day. I've never slept as well as the relief of finding out I did not have cancer. Then recovering, having major surgery to remove my gallbladder and recapture my bile duct, not recovering from that, having an infection, going into hospital three or four times to then be told I have a rare autoimmune disease mm. called Addison's disease. And I've had many Addisonian crises. I've been in hospital about 70 times wow. since 2006. 
and I just kind of refused to back down. Um, I've, had, I've got nerve ending damage, chronic pain from the original surgery, and I have radio frequency pulsed in my upper body every year to try and switch off the pain, which works. Um, had two hernia, had a hernia, had two adhesion removals. Um, December 2017 was what I thought was a normal day. I was feeling quite ill. Um, with Addison's disease, your immune system will, will kick in. It will produce more cortisol. Mine doesn't. So psychological, emotional, or physical stress, you had to take more steroids. This particular day, not feeling well, came home, collapsed at home, was able to give myself an emergency injection. Called the ambulance. Uh, first responder came, gave me fluids. My pulse wasn't even 40. I'm struggling to, I knew what was happening. It was, it was particularly, ambulance came, um, more fluids. In Australia, they call the most, uh, what they call resuscitation is like the intensive care section of emergency. And that's where they send car crash victims and everybody is where you need to be resuscitated. There was a triage nurse. She made the decision to send me into resuscitation, or, or resuscitation, how they call it. And I thought I was going to die again. I thought, oh, the next thing is being back in intensive care. And literally, it took a, I needed 20 times my normal dose to basically come around and, and live. But literally, it was just giving me more steroids, and it was like more steroids, more fluids, and I was okay when I've been in hospital where they thought I had meningitis, had the lumbar puncture. And, but May 2018, again, it was in severe Addisonian crisis where it was like straight to resuscitation again. And then other things have happened since, um, which I'm not going to talk about on this podcast, but you, if you follow my LinkedIn, you, you, you'll work it out. Mm. So I've had to face things nobody should face you know, I've been a victim of a very vicious crime which I'll leave it at that so courage is probably the only thing that has made the difference to decide do I enjoy this life or do I just to be a victim and I refuse to be a victim man you are going to be one of the most resilient men I have ever met um huh so is Addison's is this something that you've got for the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah, it's rare. It's, uh, I've read like one in every 100,000 people. The most famous person to have Addison's disease was JFK, okay. who probably next to Obama is probably one of the most famous and I think probably the best presidents the US has ever had. You know, he's been a big social change advocate. Mm. Um, for me, I, I, tend, I tend to have things which are rare. You know, the gallstone disease I had was was very rare. Uh, the procedure I had to try and remove the blockage, there's a very remote chance you would get pancreatitis. You know, again, that rare chance was me. Um, I had less, well, probably a one in three chance of surviving what I've gone through, but survived. So luckily, the odds, sometimes the odds can go in your favour. And in Australia, the Melbourne Cup is like, is like our big horse race. I've won the last five years. I picked the winner with really silly strategies. <laughs> One year, it was the horse with the silliest name or the highest odds. Well, 
that year I put $5 on the horse with the highest odds and it was a hundred to one and that horse won. So sometimes the odds can go in your favor. So celebrate those wins as well. Celebrate the happy moments. You have to, because it will get you through things. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Um, yeah. I really, bottom of my heart, congratulations. And I, I'm really in awe of everything ah, that you've, you've, you've made it through and, and not just made it through because you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know about all that trauma. Yeah, there's, there's no energy. There's no sense of victimhood. There's no sense of you can't do something in you. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you, you're, you're giving in. Yeah. It's there. Honestly, it, it's there. Mm. Um, there are moments, and I think sometimes the, the guilt is the hardest. I think survivor's guilt. And you think, well, why have I survived? Why have I gone through that? And sometimes I'm still hard on myself. And it, it may take a day or two to process something. And I think that's fine as well, because you can't always be happy. I can be very outgoing and extroverted, but I'd also be very reserved. Because I, sometimes I want time for me. I just want time to think in order to be strong. Yeah. And, you know, you doing what we do, I have my live stream, people reach out to you and you actually hear other people's stories and what they've gone through. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm so lucky. Oh yeah. And, and you're a human being going to have ebbs and yeah. flows. Just, just like excellence is a flow. Like, like your, your best flow. is, is yeah. going to be a flow. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. So yeah, please. I hope you get even better at giving yourself permission, giving yourself a break yeah. um, to let that be cool. Um, so you also, uh, you call yourself an inclusion practitioner. Yeah. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, so look, I've really been a big advocate of fairness and openly gay. And again, and I do, and I've realized I don't think I've been a victim of homophobia as much as what I actually have been. But the courage, I shrug things off and, and get on with it. Um, I started posting content on LinkedIn about 15 months ago, but then I started talking about fairness and inclusion. And I'm working with a group in the States called Systemic Diversity. And I, I, I talk about inclusion a lot rather than diversity because diversity is about celebrating our uniqueness. Inclusion brings everything together. So I talk about having the courage to be you, but also inviting others to join you. And inclusion and diversity at the moment, I feel... There are a lot of companies, again, trying to make statements that, you know, we are against racism, we are against homophobia. But practically, what are you doing about that? And what you're doing about that, for me, is why I call myself a practitioner. Mm. It's been able to have honest dialogue, have very difficult questions, but also unapologetically being yourself. I don't hide my sexuality. I've had blue hair. Sometimes to march in the Mardi Gras parade, and I've had strange looks in the lift. But when they're now in the, in the parade, they're suddenly, oh, great, they, they want to be involved. Oh. But there's that instant judgment that I have blue hair. So there's, you, you sense that. But because I say, oh, I'm in the Mardi Gras parade, oh, great, they want to be involved. And it's, they've accepted hmm. Martin having blue hair, which means, yes, as a person, you instantly make a judgment on me. But I, to be honest, I don't really care what you think. I really don't. Because if you're not going to accept me for who I am, by the way, I'm a senior executive, I publish, I've 
received awards, I've been an industry panel speaker. So if you read my resume, you would be like, oh yeah, I want to speak to this person. But because I have blue hair one day in the left, you, you, you look, essentially you're looking down at me. By the way, that same organisation is happy for me when I'm out there promoting them. So that's my other point about inclusion is I see a lot of people saying, I am proud to work for company X where I can be myself. I am proud my company stands against racism. And I think, no, you, you can't really be doing that. Be proud for who you are. Don't allow others to give you permission. So inclusion is also permission for you to be yourself because otherwise you create a bubble of what you can and you can't say. And at the moment with what's happening, we have to have these difficult conversations. You know, statues are monuments. Some statues, I think, need to come down. Some statues, you need to show an alternate story. But why are we now so focused on statues and monuments rather than what is really happening? Why are people wanting to have this conversation because there's a level of unfairness? And if we lose sight of why people are protesting rather than protesters, we will lose this opportunity of social change. And that's where being an inclusion practitioner is by inviting people on my live stream, by having conversations. Um, on Instagram a few weeks ago, everybody was like hashtagging, yes, we're against racism. You know, the blackout window. Mm -hmm. If we using the hashtag Black Lives Matter, well, using the wrong hashtag because that's actually for people to find resources. And then I, I posted this week. Two weeks ago, you made a commitment. What have you done since? Are you posting about your holidays or going back to the gym? If you're really passionate about change, you will do something. Not when everybody else is out there posting because you're angry. Diversity is kind of making us aware of, yeah. of differences. Whereas yeah. inclusion is just every, just be you and let's all get together. Not, not, even, together. not even noticing blue hair, not even noticing whatever that is, yeah. just yeah. seeing the person. Ce ce celebrating it, celebrating it, bringing everything together. Because, you know, you'll hear about the diversity business case, but you want diversity of opinion. You want to meet with different diverse communities. But often it's been about the economic benefits or, you know, being seen to be uh, an inclusive employer. But really it's giving everybody the same opportunities and access to those same opportunities. It's not tokenism. If you have three gay employees in a team and you go and promote that, what you need to promote is that it's okay for you to be yourself to come to work. But it's not enough to go and say, oh, we have three gay employees in this team. That means we're inclusive. Look how yeah. great we are. Yeah. And that's where it's been. Yeah, it's not making sure that, oh, we're addressing the, the cause of the moment. Yes. It's just letting everyone yeah. be themselves. And if, yeah, yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. And you know, mentioning the statue issue, um, you know, in, in, in here in the United States, it, it's primarily Confederate monuments from the Civil War. And um, is there also something happening in Australia or were you speaking yes, to that? Yes, well? so the big issue in Australia, like our Prime Minister has said there was no slavery in Australia, which, which is actually incorrect. Um, people from the South Pacific Islands, but also... Uh, when I promise is, you know, Australia is not the same as the US. Absolutely, we're not the same as the US. We have our own issues and there is racism here. Um, the big, big dilemma, the big problem is Australia was settled. It was colonised by the British and 
we still do not recognize Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in our constitution. If you look at just the employment chances, incarceration rates, there have been over 400 deaths in custody for Aboriginal people. Um, it, it's almost, it, it's, it's unconscionable. But we still have, we still don't even recognize Aboriginal people in our constitution. We haven't achieved reconciliation. And it's something that is continually spoken about, but really nothing has been done. And I'm very cautious of speaking for Aboriginal people because ultimately it is not my story to share. It's not my story to tell. You know, we need to listen to people, what they're telling us and take action and, and do something about it. So to change the constitution in Australia, I think believe needs to go to a referendum. It, 1967 there was a referendum which actually recognized aboriginal people as citizens you know aboriginal people were taken from their families there was a stolen generation aboriginal people were stolen from their families to made to live with predominantly white families and there was an apology in 2008 but still there's so much more work to be done if you can mention uh, Uluru or Ayers Rock is what people may know, it was only last year that it was banned for you to climb on Ayers Rock or, or Uluru because it, it's it's a sacred monument. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't go walking on the grave of of relatives, but that's how essentially it was. And people were flying into Australia from all over the world so they could have the final chance to walk on Uluru. Mm. But we, we're still learning from that. And it's going to be a difficult conversation to have. And I want to do everything I can to help people share their story and influence change. But that's the problem with inclusion and people who are woke. You get so angry and it may be well-intentioned, but you're actually silencing other people. If you're passionate, help other people share their story, help them engage in dialogue, but don't take on their cause. Don't take on their problem. Yeah, because don't you're doing this. So yeah, yeah, don't tell it for them. Invite them to wherever you are. Invite them to your platforms yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like I knew there was certainly racism against the Aboriginal people. I did not know they were not citizens, that they were still not part of the constitution. Um Yeah, so citizens since nineteen sixty seven, but not even part of the constitution. Hmm. And it's don't know why, but yeah, let's make a difference. Yeah. Well it seems like every colonized land, someone was there. And it's easier yeah. for the invader to say there's yeah. something wrong with those other yeah. people. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's systemic racism. It's in yeah. the foundation of everything. And, you know, no, no people, no group, no leaders want to go, wow, we really screwed that up. Like we yeah. were, were so horribly wrong. It's, it's incredibly different. Especially, and the longer it goes, um, yeah. you know, it takes nationwide revolt like the u.s has been having to to get the attention and to you know to wake people up um that's yeah and like i yeah i did not know uh, so much about australia and i'm sure every other country and i know in uh india you know same way all these former colonized places are you know there's there's uh it's almost like in the dna of people this battle this trauma these wounds yeah yeah well hopefully this is the time and Yes. I don't know. I don't know how many chances we'll keep getting, but this certainly I, is one of them. I I hope so. And and I'm going to talk about professional procurement. Is one of the biggest influences you have is to your buying. 
and I don't believe in boycotts, but um, when a company is out there making statements as a customer, ask the question, you know, what are you doing? Support smaller businesses, support minority-owned businesses, because then that really helps social change. It gives people the economic advantage to have a step up, and they will spend money with, with their communities and it will have a cascading effect. But when a company, major companies are out there saying something, ask the question, what are you doing? You, you mentioned this a few weeks ago or six months ago. So an example, if a thousand customers want to get a home loan for a million dollars and they all ask the same question, that's a billion dollars of spend influencing the market. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of people still applying for a home loan of over a million dollars in America. Amplify that. What if 5,000 people or want then ask those same questions? That's $5 billion of spend influencing fairness. There's so much work to do and there's so much that can be done. And I think more and more people are waking up that they can do something. Yeah. yeah. They can so do that, something. Yeah. That's a good sign. Um, I know you have another passion around boxing. So what, what, how did you discover boxing? Oh, uh, boxing discovered me. I wanted a few self-defense classes. Somebody had snapped my mobile phone and I was able to retrieve it, but it shocked me because I didn't know how to defend myself. Mm. I could fake rage verbally, but I would always, I've never been in a fight. I'm the first person to back away, walk away. But it shocked me. Like, what if something happened to me? Um, so I approached my local martial arts center for a boxing lesson. My second lesson, so I, I approached my local martial arts center for a self-defense class, but my second class happened to be boxing and I instantly discovered a passion. I could do something. You know, I was always allowed to be picked in sports. I was good at swimming, good at athletics, but I was allowed to be picked at sports at school. The idea of boxing hating me, no, not at all. But I was having more and more lessons. And I just loved it. I was hitting bags and pads. And within about a year, I was joining classes. I started sparring. And I thought, where is this going to lead up to? So I wanted to go to the Gay Games in Hong Kong in 2022 and compete in boxing. But boxing was no longer on the list of sports. But I was already calling myself the future World Gay Boxing Champion. I thought, I'm going to win a gold medal at something. So then I decided, oh, what? I want to do it, what do I do? So I want to create something called the World Gay Boxing Championships, which is a straight, friendly, inclusive boxing event. And this is coming back to inclusion and courage and, and making social change because there is still a lot of homophobia in sport. A lot of people feel they can't be free attending a sporting event. I think there's one stat, like I think 14% of gay men have been physically attacked from playing sport, 9% lesbians i think it's in like 75 percent of people do not feel an out lgbt person would be safe going to a sporting event completely being out and open that um most people have experienced and witnessed homophobia in sport whether it be in the stands on the field um so there's a lot of work to be done so what i want to do is create an environment where lgbt people and anybody can come in start boxing and feel completely safe. And that's why we need standalone events. Um, we, we don't have an openly gay male world boxing champion. Um, 
two that have been. You know, you think about uh, Orlando Cruz. Patricia Manuel is a, is a trans male professional boxer, the face of Everlast. What courage has that taken? Yeah. <laughs> so I want to make a difference there. And, and boxing is amazing. It's not, it's, it's an art form. It's a great form of exercise. You spar. It's, obviously, it's a combat sport, but it's made a complete difference to my life. Mm. People ask me now, the first question they ask me is, how is your boxing going? And you, you, you wouldn't associate with me with boxing three years ago. Yeah. Cool. So it's neat that uh, your, so your dream to become something and then it was taken away. So you created the, the structure to do it. Yeah. So are you just going to automatically become a champion because you created it or? <laughs> well, yeah, as, I'll be wasting the program. I'll have to go and compete for everybody else. But for me, the, the champion now is about creating that, that for others, creating that, that platform, creating future world champions. And my dream is, I need no heterosexual males who want to compete this, but I, I would love a straight male to win one of the titles and to be a world gay boxing champion. I think that's the epitome of allyship. You know, I'm a world champion boxer. I'm a, I'm a gay champion boxer. By the way, I'm straight. I think for me, that's the epitome of inclusion. Oh, right. Yeah. You're including them because it's not, you're not allowed. And, and it's, it's yeah. more, I think allowing it that way means that it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, yeah. we're, we're not heterophobic. You know, we, <laughs> we're, we're straight friendly. So is there already a, do you have a goal date when this, this might so happen? The goal dates has been pushed back. So I'm hoping February, 2023 okay. is for the championships. Um, Sydney is hosting World Pride, which is the biggest pride event on the planet. Within the next year in Australia, the plan is to hold LGBT fight nights, so corporate fight nights to introduce people into boxing. February, 2022, the plan is to hold like an exhibition championships just to kind of say this is what the event will be as a, as a bit of a trial run. So the website, worldgateboxchampionships.org, has been updated literally in, in the last week. And we're doing more in the, in the weeks and months ahead. Um, I mean, some of the things I've, I've had, um, I've had a death threat. You know, a guy in the Middle East asked if I was, if I was still alive. I've had... Am I injecting the gay agenda into sport um, by somebody in America and a bit of a backwards and forwards? I always say, let the troll have the last word. Let them in. If, if their final word is hate, then they, they're left with the emotion of hate. But I always think, I just move on. You know, I, I say my piece and I move on. If you're going to be hateful, I, I can't change that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no one's mind has ever been changed from social media comments. No, and and it does. It, ta- it takes courage <laughs> to leave something like that, and because I'm the same way. Like you, went, fine. You do. Like, I, I welcome differing opinions, and also often letting someone have the last word. It's usually, it's often an ugly word, and it, again, it, it's it says it says it says everything about them, not not you, not the movement, not anything you're up to. Okay. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Hmm. So. But- outside of taking up boxing, do you have any advice for someone that, that wants to experience more courageousness in their day-to-day yeah, life? In day-to-day life, um, when you look at other people and you think there's something about them, don't compare yourself to that person. Just think, what is it, what is it that person does 
that you think you could take on it? It could be a few tips. Um, I, I describe courage, and I use the phrase like a courage cascade. We've always tried things, and then you feel, oh, wow, I could actually do it. So I use um, the knowledge of a river, which is going to the ocean. So your first time, you, you, you cross the bridge. So you've crossed the river. The second time you try something, you have the experience of crossing the bridge. So you know you can cross the river. And you see the stepping stone. So then you, you have more confidence, you're taking more strides, so you use the stepping stone. Well, you've already built into that process of the river is ebbing and flowing. And then you, you come into the ocean and you just dive in for a swim. So that river is safe. You've crossed it through a bridge. You've got your feet wet by going on a stepping stone. Now you're paddling and now you swim that ocean of opportunity. To so just start through that pace, you, know, you take that passion to do it, just start doing something. Creates confidence there. Just keep going. Allow failure. Learn from failure. Failure is great. Yeah. Failure is fantastic. How many times have you failed an exam and beat yourself up over it? And then how many times have you passed an exam and gone, yes, you've passed this exam? All your failures have led you to this point right now. If you didn't fail, you would not be where you are right now. All your achievements have led you to where you are right now too so you, you take both but for me I, i've learned from failure failures yeah, yeah I, I find experience is our best way to learn and yeah failure yeah. makes it even harder i I, yeah. I i say uh imperfect action is a tremendous education yeah. right so yeah there's no failure unless it's, the failure the failure to learn from your mistakes i guess is the only the only failure I, um, I've never really watched The Apprentice much, but I remember watching The Apprentice UK, I think in the first series, and there was this guy who had been to public school, private school. He was a barrister. He'd been to Oxford or Cambridge, got a first, got a distinction, and that's all he kept saying. But the first challenge, I think, was to try and sell some fish. And he could not identify a certain type of fish to say this fish, which should be selling for like $20, he was selling for $5. So he was the first one to go because he could not, and he'd not defend himself. So this person who was uber confident, relying on, look at me, and I'm sure he's afraid. He's been very good, very success in life. But ultimately, the, the failure of not being able to sell fish, he could not defend himself. And he allowed himself to be the first one to exit. I know it's a reality program, but it always reminded me, you can have a first from Oxford, you could go to Harvard, but you can also go to community college, you can go to somewhere else. It doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. Yeah. 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 There's a, I, I don't know who to attribute this to, but the, the whole idea of, I know that, I know that. And when you have information, you might know of it. It's not until yeah. you act on it that you know it. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, a lot, a lot of, you know, traditionally educated book smart people know about a lot of things yeah. not necessarily how to put any of it into action yeah definitely oh. definitely and uh i love you how you said you talked about don't compare yourself to anybody that you're you're looking at or looking up to i think it was wayne dyer said the only person to compare yourself to is you in the past right are you growing yeah. are you learning are you changing so the, and I'm going to talk about this point in more detail because when you, you're achieving excellence, you may not realize what you're achieving and other people out there may not want the best for you. Mm -hmm. And there'll be digs, there'll be comments, they'll be saying, oh, you've missed something. 
Sometimes that is well intentioned. So if it's your manager, your coach, but there may be peers of yours who are jealous of what you're achieving. And then your stakeholders are saying something different. You're winning awards. You're, you're actually innovating. Don't allow the naysayers to stop you what you're doing. So I will sometimes describe myself as a not so alone wolf. There's the pack mentality, the pack will move you forward, but sometimes the pack want you to leave. And they'll criticize you, they'll kick you, and they'll do all of those things. I have the power to go, that's fine. Because the hardest thing is when it's overt, it's the microaggression, the put downs, all of those things. But if you continue and you're the not so alone wolf, you can be part of the group, you can, you can be an individual that takes incredible courage, but it's very empowering because then you will achieve greatness. You've done so many things and have had to get through so many things that were not, but you simply made the, the most of them that there certainly we call them challenges. Yeah. Uh, is, is there a particular, uh, a habit, a technique or a, a book you've read, anything that, that helped you that you want to share? I did a course. Oh, plus years ago it was my I was, first job was as a manager and the course was about how to do a performance review the one thing that resonated with an acronym sarah and they described it through grief which was shock anger resistance acceptance so going back to 1997 when princess diana had died i was told that the police the authorities were scared everybody would be involved because of the shock and there was the anger and I remember the Queen having to come down from Scotland to Buckingham Palace to deliver a televised address because there was incredible anger. And from that, you move to resistance and acceptance. It's kind of like the four stages of grief. What I've learned to do is to try and accept things as quickly as you can. I think it's not to bypass those emotions, but as soon as you accept something, you have more influence and ability to drive change, to be in control, to manage the outcome. So I would try and accept things however hard it is at least don't be angry don't get stuck in anger don't resist um otherwise it is the hardest thing to embracing change the mean you accept you can influence that change yeah i love what you said about and this was a this took many years for me to get this lesson that until you can accept something you can't change it yeah. right there's something about and and taking responsibility, I used to I used to see responsibility as blame, right? Well, if I accept this, it means I'm approving of it, and I'm, if, I'm, if I think that I'm responsible for it, then it was my fault. But that yeah. none of that is true. Yeah, and it's I I still I'm one thing I need to accept is stop being guilty for things I haven't done or the thing that happened to me that I feel that I've deserved it, and sometimes as a thing with being courageous and speaking up. And I'm going to say particularly men don't want to lose face and will blame you and you'll be the target of their anger because when you speak up and speak out and somebody realizes they've done something and they don't want to accept it, what's the one thing they do is they target those who've been the ones to point something out. Yeah. So always put your safety first, always put your psychological safety, physical safety because you don't know how other people are going to react. You know, I've been sent to commentary, ostracized, 
first speaking up against racism. Um, and to be honest, it didn't bother me. I'm not, I enjoyed the silence, I enjoyed the peace and quiet. But it, but it can be tough. So always make sure you're comfortable with whatever action what you take. I would, I would never be a whistleblower. I would leave a company. I would never, if it was safe to speak up. But I would always try and speak up for other people as well. You know, and, I, and I, I've done that. And I've been the I've been the victim, and I've been the target of their venom. Um, I actually have to hold myself back because verbally I will say something back mm. as well, and they tend to not like that when you tell people what you actually yeah. think of their racism and their bigotry and homophobia. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it, it's a natural tendency to meet the same energy or emotion with that same thing. But yeah, to 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 change it, you've got to be the one with yeah. the awareness and realize, yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, and that that's it's a challenge to do and it's a gift to realize you can yeah. do it. And then that's the option. Yeah. So yeah. So, so good on you. Yeah. Um, is, is there anything that you've learned that you wished you had learned at a younger age? Yeah. Not to stress so much to embrace courage. Um, not to be so concerned how others allow that, their, their opinions to affect me. Um, I used to get answer shopping, probably still do that. You know, also applying a filter to, to advice. A lot of people want to offer advice and tell you what to do. And if you don't do it, their reactions, often people are well-intentioned. But when they're giving you advice, is it coming from a place where they've gone through something or they're giving genuine their views? Or is it because by you doing something, it's reflection of what they haven't done? Mm-hmm. So I had a momentous from last year said, most people seek to impress the elite express as a society. We all seek validation, social media, we seek validation, but when you just continue and be resilient and courageous, you will find the right people. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Martin, this is a, uh, I, again, I'm just, I was impressed with you already, but I'm just, that, that's what's leaving me the most, just uh, how impressive a human being you are, how impressive a man you are. Um, what, what, so what's the best place, the best way that, that people can find you, learn more about you, see what you're up to? Minute, purely LinkedIn. That's the only platform I'm on. I used to be on Instagram. I'm still on Instagram as Gay Boxing Champion and Facebook. But LinkedIn for me at the time being, and I'm being very strategic because of other different platforms that you can go on. But at the minute, I just find it's much easier to be on a B2B platform, sharing my messages rather than uh, uh, TikTok, not for me. You know, it's silly dances and videos. That's cool. I'll do that. Not for me. YouTube, I just think it's just a very crowded market and I don't want to be spending hours. So LinkedIn is the best way. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, best of luck with everything you're doing. Uh, Continued health. Um, You know, I want the the only injuries I ever want to hear about from you is coming from you're winning a championship bout. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, Andy. I'm going to say what you've achieved is, is absolutely fantastic. You know, you've got this great podcast, you're an established writer, and you've created something, something like me, to come on and be able to come and speak. So, you know, I'm kind of seeing what you've done, thinking, what can I do as well? Not not trying to compare myself to you. I think, wow, look at what this guy has done and what he's doing now for other people. Yeah. And so my final thing is, like, see what other people have done, but don't, emulate, don't try and be Andy. Just try and be yourself and think, what was it that Andy's done? And go and innovate and then go and correct that for others. So, Yeah, yeah, a huge part. And again, I wasn't conscious of it. I was afraid of it to begin with, but it's authenticity. 
Yeah. Right. And that, that takes courage. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the, uh, the inclusion thing. It's the courage to be you. That's authenticity. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so thanks for your kind words. And again, we're glad we were able to connect. Glad, glad to learn what you're up to and hope to see it spread. Um, practice more inclusion and have that yeah. become a, a global phenomena. That would be fantastic. And uh, visit realmenfield.org and the show notes will have links to your, your LinkedIn and world gay boxing championship. Uh, and anything else that we can, we can think of. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get you to do a TikTok video or something. I don't know. I won't promise. I'm, I'm not there either. Cause I think it's, yeah, I haven't gone there either, but um, again, Martin, thanks for your time. Uh, everybody for li- listening. Thank you for your time. And uh, Real Men Field is actually going to take a, a short break. Uh, it's going to be three weeks before I'm back with, with a new program because um, this is a weekly show and I've done more shows this year than there are weeks. So it's time to take a break <laughs> for my own, uh, my sanity. Um, but it's just going to be three weeks and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Until next time, I you know, you say be good to yourself, but I'm going to say be courageous with yourself. Courageous. Be courageous with your bad self. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, Martin. Thanks, everybody else. And uh, thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Is your prostate waking you up more often than your alarm clock? The fact is, the older you get, the more likely you'll have prostate problems, which can affect your everyday life. That's where Prostate Complete by Real Health comes in. Prostate Complete is the result of 20 years of experience as a leader in men's health. The powerful formula in Prostate Complete supports natural prostate function and reduced urinary urges for a better quality of life. Available at Walmart. Visit prostateoneperday.com for special offers. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.